On this episode of the Business Samurai Podcast, I'm going to go into a little bit of why I think cybersecurity is doomed, particularly for the small, medium businesses, of what the breakdown has been and why it's really the same thing over and over again of the failing of the human element within there. And I think that's a failure of technical leaders and business leaders not being able to communicate, not being able to talk the same language as it were to get on the same page so everybody can understand. So I've got a list of reasons and a couple of stories to share from my 20 plus years of experience in the technical field that I think that if we can correct this, we can start making some headway on the human side of things and start making some real progress on protecting the community, our staff, our clients and customers, and being good partners with other businesses with better security tactics, practices, and communication. So sit back and listen on the Business Samurai podcast as I go through my reasons of what we can do to improve cybersecurity and risk management for businesses. Do you enjoy talking business? Do you enjoy reading about business? Do you geek out over the entrepreneurial journey? If so, then you are in the right spot. The Business Samurai Podcast brings you the stories told by the people themselves. You'll be immersed in a wide variety of industries, from venture capital to gourmet popcorn, learning how to be a better leader, or the personalities behind solving the broadband crisis. At The Business Samurai, we believe it takes a wide variety of skill sets and experiences to be successful in business and life. Our aim is to not only entertain, but educate. For you to recognize how successful tactics and motivations in one industry can help propel you forward in your own unique business. Sit back, enjoy, and welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I am your host, John Barker. All right. Like I said in the intro, I'm going to go over what I think is going to be the failing between your very technical people, which we obviously need to have, as well as your non-technical business leaders and just other non-technical folk in general that, of course, we need to have to make everything run uh, extremely well. So one of the things, if you make it all the way to the end, I do have a, an offer. It's only seven bucks that goes through my risk management framework of what I do to evaluate. And it kind of backs up what I'm going to go through on my steps here on this episode. So let's set the framework. I want to give everybody who's not familiar with me a little bit of my uh, short backstory so you can understand the context. I'm not just some random dude that has not experienced anything. I, I started back on in technology in the late 90s. Uh, started out in Unisys mainframes. So obviously you've seen those. If you've never seen mainframe or really old computers for younger folk, you know they would take up an entire room. I had these big reels of tape, no kidding, that were, were utilized for, for backup and recovery and things of that nature. Um, there was actually a person that was only dedicated to doing backups of the Unisys mainframe because these tape reels, I think if you stretch them out, were miles and miles long. And the thing, the process would take like all night for very little data compared to what we obviously what we have now. So then I went through the kind of went through the ranks, you know, you know, building computers, running networks, being an administrator in Windows environments, going into, you know, being a full on uh, engineer. I was a consultant, you know, a hands on, you know, that I think it was before the term managed service provider was really even big, but essentially that's kind of what I did for tons of companies, helping some grow from two people to well over 500 and with a global footprint, uh, lots of government contracting, lawyers, medical. Uh, I got exposed to a ton of industries, a ton of different technology partners, 
and interacting with either in-house support or, you know, other other vendors that are in the industry. So some of what I'm, you know, doing now, you know, I want to help clients scale and grow their organization and really start integrating the technology better and improve general business operations. You're going to hear me start talking. You'll hear me reference that in a little bit of where I think a lot of when cybersecurity is in risk management is around process and procedures. Well, most businesses, small, medium businesses, and I can speak from this firsthand, really don't have process and procedures that are in play. So if you start working in an environment where something becomes, it needs to be compliant, um, and I think federal government contracting space is one of those, that all of a sudden, hey, you kind of self-attested, yeah, we're doing all these things, but really nobody was, that all of a sudden, if it's going to be enforced on you, and all you've got all these rules for this kind of one segment of technology and protecting data, but the rest of your business doesn't run on process and procedures, that it's you're setting yourself up for a hard time implementing, particularly if it's not kind of rolled out gradually. I mean, you don't build a house in a day. It takes months to start. You got to start with the foundation and work your way up. So that's a little bit of what I have done and, and, and doing now working with clients on the on integrating business strategy operations with the security mindset in, in play. So I want to start out with a story. And this is something that happened to me that so I can kind of demonstrate a a threat that a company faced um, that I was I was the IT director. I ran a project for it. I helped out on proposals and a bunch of other things. Um, and that was just I had my hands in a lot of different areas. So the company had just won a new a new contract and it required the development of a new software platform and at the time just to give you a sense everything was uh, housed in-house the servers were all in-house i had a team that helped manage this stuff and everything was inside we were just starting to see virtualization was still a big thing for those of you familiar with that term you have a server but it can handle multiple versions of an operating system but we we're just starting to see the early stages of where the cloud you know your amazon web services were just starting to to really get a hold of things in the smaller medium market spaces it was still something i would see your larger enterprises were, were definitely starting to adopt faster in, during this time period but we has we housed everything in-house so for during this time period i had like a trusted developer that i was very comfortable with knew personally and that was who typically you know if they needed to build something that was a, a custom solution that's who they typically went with in this particular scenario, the, the project manager and the other company leaders decided to not use that same resource. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it was a pricing thing. I don't know if it was a capabilities thing. I never I never heard, never found out. I wasn't really in the, you know, I wasn't in the loop with this outside of at some point, uh, whoever was doing the development work would need access to the live production equipment. So they selected this new vendor to build the, the software platform out. At the, uh, and I just said, all right, I do not know who these guys are. So there's a couple rules. Um, they have to have their own development environment. They've got to have their own testing environment for you to sign off on. We, we really didn't have a lot of resources internally at the time for that. And then we'll give access to the production. And at the time, being a, a smaller business, we had the, the other programs that we were already running 
we can actually use one uh, server essentially to run multiple programs because they weren't big. You're talking 20 people, 50 people, something like that. And they weren't like really heavily utilized. It didn't take a lot of resources. So we could run multiple, multiple different programs isolated on the same machine. So that's what we were going to do in this case as well, because again, it was another smaller-ish type project, but required a custom platform. So uh, again, that was my stipulation. I, I was kind of just really out of the loop until it came time to, all right, we need to deploy this. And they were using a program uh, called Basecamp. And Basecamp is a project management tool. And it's kind of a communication platform. I had access to it, but really didn't get into it because that program had nothing to do with me. There was, I had no oversight. I didn't know about features. I just really didn't have anything to do with it. But that's what they were using. And I did have access if something did pop up or I got a question, which I think may have happened a time or two. And it really came into play here at the end. Well, we came in one day. They had already, everything had been signed off. They're, they were in the process of deploying this new application on the same, you know, on the existing machine. So we had to give elevated privileges to our subcontractor that, that, to, to go deploy this and we did we came in one day and the machine is basically wiped clean <laughs> there was no data on it it booted it ran they didn't delete the operating system it wasn't like the machine was formatted but they they had it was gone there was no data on it the other programs were gone just everything and it became this scramble everybody in a panic mode like what happened what was <laughs> what was going on so of course at this point now i'm jumping in with the team and we're going through log files. Sure enough, we could see the vendor's name had been who had been logged in uh, to the machine, and when things had been deleted, everything was you know we had good audit lo logs. We could actually track it. So after digging around, I jump into Basecamp just to see what had been going on. Who's, who knows the last time I was in it? Again, not having anything to do with the project, and ended up seeing that they had actually. The, the, the people that we contracted to that said, hey, we can build this, they also outsourced it to a third party themselves. So we were dealing with a subcontractor of a subcontractor, and we didn't know it. And apparently those guys had been, th those that subcontractor and his other resource had been getting into a fight over payment. The other guy felt like he wasn't getting paid properly or in a timely manner and deleted all the stuff. We didn't know that. Our, the contractor that we had actually directly hired had given his name, login and username and password to this other party. So every time we, we were seeing a login to it, we, you know, it looked like it was from the right person. We were never asked to set up another who this other third party was. And so it just it was just it was absolutely crazy. And again, from, uh, you know, sitting there going, this isn't a technology thing. Somebody needed to have told us to change the password, to turn off the account, to create a new account, something along those lines, something that would have been done in <laughs> seconds that now caused, you know, a, I don't know, it was probably 12 to 24 hours between the discovery, what was going on, and then getting recovered. And one of the other things, and then we're getting to that we're partially where I started learning how to start talking a little bit more on the business side, even though I've got all the business degrees and all this stuff backing it up, but I was still having my head in the tech a little too much. Previous to this, I had asked for a more robust backup and recovery system and something that would have allowed us, because we were having some more of these smaller uh, production environments in-house, along, uh, along with email and a whole, you know, stuff that makes the company run. 
that we could have recovered from seconds or at least stood up a a, a clone platform to get us running till we got you know hardware needed to replace or something along that line and it was five thousand dollars i very i just dis, i distinctly remember that being five thousand dollars and i was told no and i'm sure i was going over the bells and whistles piece of it versus the financial side you know in in retrospect of that hey we can we can recover in like 10 seconds and it does all these snapshots and all of this kind of stuff and it just all i could hear was five thousand dollars and i was told no and of course now I did, of course, had backup and disaster recovery in place, but it was basically taking a snapshot, you know, once a day. So when we were able to recover this, re restore all of this stuff back, you know, there was a day's worth of data that was lost in this on top of how much downtime had incurred since all the data had been deleted. So we get it back up and running, but this just goes to show that maybe I should have been more involved in this or at least been tracking closer i you know i can hindsight's 2020 in these cases and maybe i should have went with a different business perspective we could have got up faster but quite frankly this was a, a situation of some the communication should have happened faster all we needed to do was turn this account off if we knew that somebody else was having access to the system and was almost i'm gonna say almost impersonating the person we thought you know the company that we thought was having access, had given their access away. What are we supposed to do about that? So it's a breakdown. This is where we got to start communicating better. We got to start talking better. So I've got roughly eight things that kind of that tie in a little bit. That's that's the story that I had a long time ago. I've got several others that are probably like that. But that's just a story I had that, you know, technology necessarily wouldn't have stopped this from occurring. This was a communication, not knowing who was in the supply chain, uh, you know, I could sit there and say I should have been tracking the, 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 the base camp conversations a little bit closer. The project manager should have been tracking the base camp to see that, hey, who's this other person that's that's involved in this type of thing or even seeing that they were in a dispute uh, in within the base camp project management software. It's crazy. So I want to go into this. Uh, I'm, this isn't exactly in any particular order, per se. But so let's get into number one. You got technical people that don't speak business and they just jump into the weeds way, way, way too soon. So it's using that example when I was talking about the backup and disaster recovery, I was probably talking about, how, again, how fast this thing could recover from us and how fast, you know, it does all these bells and whistles and boom, boom, boom. And I'm going, oh, this is cool. This is cool. And that's probably how they heard it. They probably heard me saying this is something cool that I just want to play with. And I really wasn't tying things into business outcomes. So if you're looking to increase, let's say you need new technology in, in place to, to make sure you're tying things back to business outcomes, that you understand the value that it's going to bring the business, how it's, you know, something may minimize risk, maybe something's going to be a time saver, maybe something is going to, uh, you know, just enhance a client value that you can sit there and actually say, this is, this is what it's going to bring from us, maybe even from a monetary standpoint. You know, you've got your kind of qualitative and quantitative measurements, the things that make you feel good, but also can you back it up with some numbers, um, you know, time or money in most cases. And if you could do that, your chances of success are probably going to be higher if, you know, the budget allows it or in the next cycle. Number two on my list is kind of flipping the script on this a little bit is the business side that are definitely non-technical. They've heard the buzzwords that are floating around out there, but have no clue what they mean. And 
saw this all the time, constantly trying to correct this over the, the uh, over the course of my career. But one of the things that I've noticed recently, there's a big you know hiring difficulty in the cybersecurity industry, and this is something where I think people are looking to certifications to try to qualify people, which I'm not going to sit there and say whether that's good or bad. The problem is they're using the wrong certifications for the wrong job requirements of what they're really looking for. And so give you a good example of this. This is something I actually went through recently with speaking to an organization that one of the requirements were they wanted to have a CISSP. So I've got that certification. It is every my the way I view this certification is it's a management certification with some small technical aspects to it. The the term, if you go study for this thing, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. You touch a lot of ex, you touch a lot of things in this when you when you're studying for it or your experience is really broad. You're gonna go be a leader somewhere in the field. And this organization for they were looking for somebody that was a pen tester, a coder, things of that nature. And we actually, I don't want to say we got into an argument, but they were pushing back on me saying, how can you have this certification if you've never done those things? And to me, it was blowing my mind because we're seeing this out there in the cybersecurity field when you're looking at job requirements that they've got CISSP on entry level requirements. You have to have five years of documented experience to even take the certification because it's it requires experience, requires a lot of experience and a lot of broad areas. And that's it's just blowing me away that the people that think they understand it are not listening to the people that do understand it. So I encourage you if you're if you're trying, you're starting to explore, you know, risk management strategies for your company because you work really hard to 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 build your business, build a strong client base, you know, no like and trust, people know like and trust you. You want to take the right steps to protect yourself. So if somebody keeps pushing back on you on the way that you're using phrases and the way you're using terminology, there's a good chance you've heard the buzzword, but you're using it wrong and you're using it in the wrong connotation and you need to correct that. So I would say drop the buzzwords and very plainly speak Hey, we, you know, instead of them saying, they, you know, they understand the term pen, te- you know, maybe they think they understand the word pen tester. Hey, but we're looking for somebody with the technical experience to kind of break into our systems and, and use it that way. And, or send, instead of just going, hey, we need a CISSP and assuming that that covers it all because it's the top level one that they may have heard of. Number three, technical people that have to be technically correct all the time. And this is one super annoys me when I'm in meetings where we're maybe we're doing a product uh, project kickoff, uh, product launch or something along, not necessarily a product launch, but prepping for a product launch or implementation with something. I tend to try to talk to analogies. I, you know, if I start picking up my audience, it, they don't have a deep technical background. So I raise that elevation going back to that first point, being able to try to tie this back into business sense And we wanted to, and I want to make sure everybody at the table understands. I don't want to go deep down to, you know, the bells and whistles. And I have been corrected many times by somebody at the table that has that deep level engineering, that deep level database development, things of that nature that really likes to to go in there and make the stuff work, to make the buttons work. And they just start talking all that stuff and, and almost correcting me and going way into the weeds. And you just see everybody at the table's eyes just glaze over. That 
you don't want to do that. It's unnecessary. And in some cases, it's very counterproductive to what you're trying to get it accomplished. So yes, if you're at a table and it's all engineers that are around you of various types, you need to have those technical talks. But if you're at a table and you've got multi-disciplines sitting around the room, and what do I mean by multi-disciplines? Let's say you're giving a status update. So you've got somebody that's doing finance. You've got somebody from human resources. You've got the business development person. You've got the sales. Uh, you've got the customer relationship person there. You, you've got to sit there and raise that conversation up. Don't get too focused into the weeds. One of the things I've started using recently is kind of like talking like the president's daily briefing. If you go look that up, they either get it once or twice a day, but it's a very it's a short summary of the top priority things that the president needs to deal with during that time frame. And I think it's only like a page, two pages, maybe tops. I, I, you know, I guess it depends on who the president is, but they don't get into a 50 page bulleted list of everything, which is what I see happening in a lot of these uh, group meetings. So please try to avoid that. Number four, and this is something I've, I've noticed when it comes to the federal con contracting space as federal government contractors are getting ready to be subjected to the new cybersecurity framework, that everybody sees everything as a risk, regardless of the context anymore. And I think that's one of those things that we really need to take a step back and look and say, what's gonna, what is the risk profile of this business so we can start prioritizing right. And what do I mean by risk profile? How likelihood is the risk going to occur? And what would be the impact should that risk occur? I, I forget how many years ago this was. I was wrapping up a lunch meeting with a, another colleague and somebody calls me and I get this call from this cyber risk analyst guy, no clue who it was. And he was calling to yell at me because I had talked to one of his clients and it was a random reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter or something. I don't, I don't even remember this at this point. I remember the yelling part of this conversation though. And what had happened was I had, I had reached a, I had gotten a random phone call from like a six or seven person company. I think they did landscaping, something like this in another state. Like I live in Virginia. This was in like New York. And they were very concerned with some stuff that was coming down that they were going to basically be put out of business and that they were concerned with the advice that they were given. And whoever they've been speaking to got a hold of my number, starts calling me and starts yelling at me that these guys needed to spend 50, 60, $70,000, some astronomical amount to do everything on this list. And I'm like, dude, are you trying to put them out of business? This we've got to, you've got to go back and start prioritizing which of the things are likely to occur within their business and put in the proper the, the proper steps, whether that's just a process and procedure to mitigate that risk and, and make it the chances of it happening to be small, or if you can eliminate it with a technical tool, as long as it doesn't break the bank. We need to get back to this not breaking the bank thing and start gradually getting people rolled into this. So the best way to do that is to really do a, you know, look at the entire threat landscape of an organization and go, where are the big holes at that would cause the most damage and are most likely going to occur and start plugging those and then work your way through the process. And that we need to get back to that because I've told people, I said, I can take you down the risk rabbit hole as far as you want to go. I can make everything look like one. And, but that's not my intention. I think we need to start putting in to start getting people and getting that cultural mindset of risk management, risk awareness, that we need to sit there and really prioritize this.
Number five, I'm going to briefly talk about this. There's just way too many frameworks out there, I believe, for cybersecurity. Um, there's tons of them. You can go look them up. NIST has tons of special publications that go into very deep subsets. Um, you've got ISO, you've got PCI, you've got HIPAA, and I'm sure there's others. Those are probably the, the ones that always come to mind first, and they've got all these different subsets. I used to actually have this chart that, that actually cross-referenced them all. And the bulk of them have the same controls, but they're just listed in a kind of a different way. And obviously, if you're in a financial sector, there's going to be a little bit more focus on certain things with money. Obviously, with, with HIPAA, you got a little bit more on personally identifiable information. But don't get me wrong. They both have that bleed over. They both have that crossover. And so my concern is, as these frameworks keep coming out there, that the businesses that really haven't taken a lot of approaches to cybersecurity risk management are going to get absolutely overwhelmed when they start doing their own due diligence, their own research into, hey, you know, I, I built my business, we've got all this stuff here, but we really haven't dug into the risk management and the cybersecurity piece of this stuff. And when I look out there, there's like a bazillion frameworks out there with hundreds of controls in there and they don't know where to start. And so then instead of reaching out for help, they just get overwhelmed and they just chuck it to the side. So that is a concern of mine as, as this continues to evolve, software drives the world, of course, and the frameworks are great for the uh, technical, the, tech, the, the tacticians coming in there, particularly if you're in an environment that should and needs to be compliant. But I do believe it's overwhelming um, for others that have not started the process yet. Number six, uh, businesses that haven't started working enough with standard operating procedures and formalized roles within their organization. I think if they're starting from scratch and all of a sudden they're thrust into an environment where they need to be compliant, and somebody drops in a, a framework using 110 controls that they're just it's it's going to blow their mind so if the rest of the company does not run on standard operating procedures how are they how are you expecting them to actually stick to operating procedures just around risk management it's not going to happen and it hasn't been happening look around we can't get people to stick with patching procedures uh, you can't get people to do offboarding procedures. Uh, I've seen people have access to old email years after they've left the system because no, I turned them off. Um, it's one of my pet peeves is is offboarding procedures because somebody's been gone in an organization and nobody, you know, the technical team they're not mind readers. They don't know when somebody leaves. Somebody has to tell them those things. So that the best way to to start, I you know, is for the company to start working off standard operating procedures. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be perfect because these things should be living and breathing. But if you start saying, hey, we're going to have a very set way that we're going to do client delivery, we're going to have a set onboarding way every single time. It's very much repeatable. Your staff, your team starts working within those boundaries. So when you start trickling in, and I do use the term trickling in because I think you should start, again, building a foundation with some of the the risk management process procedures there won't be as much resistance because they're working they're used to working within some some boundaries and the side benefit from that is you get predictable repeatable results number seven obviously you can't un there's too many businesses out there that just don't think they have any risk at all they go i've got a cyber insurance policy i'm protected i don't need to do anything let me get this straight and let me be as clear as possible Cyber insurance policy is a prescriptive measure, meaning it does absolutely nothing to help you stop an event from happening. It doesn't stop your employee from clicking on a ransomware link that shuts down your business. It doesn't do anything 
to stop the laptop being stolen that has all the data on it that has no passwords on it uh, to lock the machine out. This is a not a preventative measure. It is way, way better to be preventative than it is to be prescriptive. The cyber insurance policy will probably help with payout. The cyber insurance policy will probably give you access to a very robust, awesome team of people to try to help you get your business back up and running again. But there's no guarantee. There is absolutely no guarantee that you got a ransomware attack that you'll ever be able to get those files unlocked again because of the wrong thing being done and you not having the proper tools and processes in place to recover from an event like that or to try to stop it as much as possible. So please, you have to understand your risk profile. You need to understand some key metrics around your business, how much it costs to run your business per day, per week. What's the opportunity cost if you got shut down? How much does it cost for overhead? Believe me when I say, and this is gonna sound you know, kind of dumb, but it's absolutely true. So there are many people that do not know what the breakdown it cost to actually run their business and how much money would fly by if they were shut down. They just wouldn't I've had those conversations. I know that to be true. And the last one to kind of wrap this up, businesses that think cybersecurity is just a technical problem. It, I, I hopefully have proved through these other steps that that is clearly not the case, that it, it's it's woven throughout. But I, I've been using this analogy. I'm coming up with some new analogies uh, here to try to prove my point and try to make the conversation approachable for others. But if you take any company, there's what's the what's one thing that flows through every piece of the company? Well, that's money. Money flows through every department within an organization. So HR's got a budget. Accounting has a budget. Your sales team has a budget. Marketing has a budget. So what's the thing when when you got all these places that have a budget? They have to be good stewards of that money. They can't just go out and blow it. They can't take everybody out to expensive lunches and dinners. They can't just go buy whatever they want. They've got to work within the confines of that, and they've got to do right responsibly by the company, by clients, by the other team members with what they do with that money to drive value. What is the other thing that goes throughout an entire organization? It's technology. Everybody is functioning on, if not one device, like seven different devices now, and working from wherever. You know, working from Starbucks, working from home, working from the library, working from their car, because we've got the ability to do that now. So it is absolutely impossible for your tech, technical team, whether that's a group, a person in, in house that you respond to, or even an outside managed service provider, a managed security service provider, to have any clue what everybody is doing in, at any given moment. It is on everybody to have that security conscious mindset when they're out doing whatever it is. Another example of this would be uh, when it comes to data. You know, it, the technical team in a lot of cases is the custodian of the data. They're the ones, you know, they're the protectors. They're the ones that in, in a lot of cases, but not all, and I'll give you an example of this here in a second. In a lot of cases, if, if you've got a file share, for instance, or a SharePoint site, um, which is like a document repository, they may be the ones that click the button that gives you access to certain things, but they're not making that decision. The, the lead, that owner, the department head is the one that says who gets access to what, and it's on them to actually sit there and go, all right, now take that access away. The technical team won't know that. 
It's on that other person. So that's a, a good reason why you've got to start building this culture throughout. It's everyone's responsibility. When they teach you cybersecurity culture, it's, it's getting uh, your champion. If you've got a new initiative that you're trying to really get take hold, you need your champion strategically placed. So figure out within your organization how to strategically place champions to get that risk mindset because it's way, way better to be preventative than it is to be prescriptive after the fact because, quite frankly, there may not be an after effect unless you're in a situation to be too big to fail. And if you have an event and you're a small business, the stats are out there. Go look them up. Very chance, good chance of being shut down and never recovering and if it's out long enough, your customers are going to find out and your reputation is probably going to be toast. So those are the reasons why I think that we've been failing at cybersecurity, that cybersecurity is doomed if we don't solve these communication gaps in there and actually start getting technical people to start learning a little bit more about business and communicating to business leaders and business leaders not necessarily having to understand the technical, but being open that there is a problem that they need to start solving it and it's got to be across the board it can't just be delegated to this specific group so i got like i said made it to this point uh, i think i've been running for about 30 minutes now if you uh, want to understand the framework that i use to understand a cyber business risk i've got seven easy steps to understanding it it, it requires business leaders to be involved. It requires your accounting department to be involved and whoever your technical help is. And it's seven bucks. I got the link in the description of this. And it's the exact thing that I use to start identifying kind of your threat landscape. So you can start figuring out exactly how you need to allocate resources, whether that's people, money, uh, or additional tools to start making sure that you're protected. Everybody has a different risk profile. There's no one size fits all. And if you think somebody's coming at you with a turnkey solution, walk away. You're either underpaying or overpaying because it's not going to be fit to you. And that's one of the things when you're talking about uh, risk management, cybersecurity, and principles in general. It needs to flex. It needs to flex to be where you are at any given moment. So I hope this has been helpful. If you, if you disagree with me, let me know. Hit me up and say I'm full of crap. If you think I've missed something that's also key in this discussion, Please let me know. I'd love to have that have that conversation. Maybe even have you on the the podcast as a guest, and we can talk about the where we agree and where we disagree. I'm open to that conversation. But after 20 years of being, oh, 20 plus years of being at this in tons of different industries, uh, and talking to tons of different people, CEOs to you know the the front desk clerk that you you come in, these are the the things that I've seen that kind of been rules. I can almost put rules to them and predict them at this point. So uh, catch you on the next one.